Thanks, James. Well, thank you guys for having me. Like James said, my name is John Potts. I am uh, a member of Church in the City, and I consider it a privilege to share with you what the Lord has placed on my heart. And um, and just as we consider Good Friday, um, I uh, just, like James said, why is it a good day? And I don't know if you guys had that question in your mind when you came here today, but I had that question in my mind. Why is it a good day? Just considering what Christ went through as we look at it, the testimony and the, the story of what he did. Uh, just consider with me some of these things. Betrayed by a brother, captured by a crowd, deserted by disciples, falsely accused by religious leaders, spat upon and beaten by soldiers, rejected by many, mocked by all, and scourged, and finally crucified. The ways that Jesus suffered for us feel like I can experience some, maybe not all. I've never been crucified. Maybe you have. Hope not. <laughs> betrayed. How many of us have been betrayed by a brother? How many of us have been mocked by a crowd or mocked by a friend? Deserted by people we thought were friends and family? How many of us have been falsely accused by people of things we never did? Perhaps you have been spat upon or struck Maybe you've been rejected. As we think about what Christ did for us, why is it Good Friday? Because it's horrible what happened to him. And it's a devastating story. It's a horrible thing. It's a reality that many of us, I, I think, can barely comprehend to think about the suffering that he went through. And so as we consider this, Christ did all of this. He suffered for us so that we could be seated with him. And that's the main thing I want you guys to walk away with today is that to be seated with Christ is to suffer with Christ. And so as we consider why, why is this a good day? Why are we here? Why did you come tonight? I want us to think about what we've done and what Jesus did for us. So when I was younger, I uh, got my driver's license. How many people have gone through driver's ed? A few people? Raise your hand. I'm an interactive speaker, so I need you to participate. So, How many of you guys went to driver's ed? Oh, yeah. All right, great. Okay, so, you know, I heard all the horror stories of driver's ed, and maybe you heard the horror stories too, but, I mean, I even heard a story of a priest who got in road rage and shot a guy with a crossbow, and he died. You know, you're hearing all these stories of road rage, and you're like, man, this is crazy. I sure hope that doesn't, be, you know, that's never going to be me. Hope not. You know, but the other day I was polishing off my crossbow. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but when I was about 16, a few months after I uh, got my driver's license, I was driving to school, and it was winter. I'm from Minnesota, and so you guys probably know this, but sometimes parking lots, they get covered in ice, right? You can't see any of the lines, and so next thing you know, people are parked, like, parallel and sideways and straight and up and down. You know, they're vertical cars <laughs> everywhere, and it's just like, what are you thinking, you know? And I just remember, you know, pulling in, and there was no parking anywhere, right? And I knew that there was parking about a mile and a half away, right? And I could walk all the way, but I spotted a one spot. Have you guys ever been that person? You see the one last, very last spot right up in front, and you're like, I gotta get that spot, right? So I, of course, was driving the family party van, is what we, you know, lovingly and affectionately refer to it as, which is massive, and I went up, and I was like, I gotta fit in this spot, you know? So I pull in, and, and it's just not quite working, and I'm just trying to finagle my way in until I just finally got frustrated, and I was like, I'm going for it. And I punched it, 
Okay, I didn't punch it, but I like pulled forward and hit the car right next to me, right? Newly got my license, and I like put it in park, and I look, and I, oh man, there's this massive gash, right, in this car. And I was like, oh no, what am I doing? Find me, what, this is a big deal. And I like walk over, and, and I'm like, I'm just gonna go, I'm just gonna leave because I'd never really been told what to do in that kind of a situation. <laughs> and I was like, maybe I should just go. So I pull out, <laughs> which is foolish, don't do that. And I pull out, I drive the mile and a half away, and I walk back in, I tell my friends, guys, I hit a car, and they're like, oh my goodness, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine, no, no worries. And they're like, good. And they didn't tell me, no one told me. Oh, like, that's a problem. Did you leave your information? No, I did not leave my information. So. Two weeks go by, it's off my mind, I'm not even thinking about it, my car wasn't damaged at all. And I'm sitting at my house, and I'm just, you know, relaxing, and I get this phone call, and it's like, hello, is this Jonathan? I said, this is he? Uh, this is the Coon Rapids Police Department? Uh, yes, can I help you? And they said, uh, we were calling in regards to an event that took place about a week ago. By now, at this point, I've completely forgotten about the event, right? I have no idea what they're talking about. And I'm like listening and I was like, a week ago, what's it about? And they're like, we think you know. I have no idea what you're talking about, officer. We're gonna come by your house and see what happened. And I was like, okay, that's weird. So I hang up and I'm like, is that a prank phone call from my friends? Or like, what's happening? And so sure enough, 20, 30 minutes later, the cops pull up and I'm just like, I'm sorry, I hit the car, I made a mistake. I didn't mean to, you know? And I'm just like so remorseful. And, and they're like taking it all down on their notes. And next thing you know, I, I find out it's not just like a ticket or anything. It was actually a, considered a hit and run, which is a misdemeanor, right? So I'm finding out I have to go to court. I have to go to court. And I'm going in there and, you know, I'm looking around, big room, judge is up on the high seat, and I'm listening to these people. And, and they're like, we have an account of uh, possession of marijuana. and. And they're, they're talking about why they had it and all these things. And, well, that'll be five months in jail and, you know, $800 fine. And I'm like, I can't go to jail, you know? Like, and I find out you could get six months and $1,000, right? And I was like, oh, this is terrible. Like, what have I done? And, of course, I did everything I could to make it right. I called the lady who I hit the car. Was that a conversation? And uh, talked to her. I was like, I'm sorry. I ended up paying her for the repairs. And so finally, you know, I'm listening to all these other people being sentenced and and it's my turn, you know? And I go into the back room and the prosecutor's talking to me and he's like, well, you realize you made a mistake, right? And I was like, yes, yes, I did. And, uh, and he's like, well, we're gonna have to uh, pay for the fine. I was like, well, I already, actually, I already did that. And he was like, well, we'll have to like, verify that. And I was like, well, actually, I uh, got this signed and notarized like, thing that I paid for it. And he was like, wow. So it looks like you did everything right except for when you left the scene. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> And he said, all right, well, this is what we're gonna do. You're gonna plead guilty, and we're gonna cut you some slack, and you're gonna go, and next thing you know, you're gonna, the judge is gonna give you, I can't remember the exact words, it was like no contest, that's not the exact word, but basically it wouldn't go on my record, you know? And uh, I was like, okay, that sounds like a good deal. My license wasn't suspended, none of that stuff. And I got up there, and the judge was like, sir, or, you know, young man, or whatever it was. And I was like, yes, and uh, he was like, this is what's happened, and this is what needs to happen, and, and uh, you realize what you've done? And I was like, yes, I made a mistake. 
And of course, I threw in like the goodwill thing. I was in high school, and I was like, I was I was driving to college because I'm trying to graduate with a college degree in high school, and I, you know, I'm trying to like up my, you know, reputation or whatever. So finally, they were like, all right, we're gonna let you go, but I pled guilty, right? And a year went by, no other hit and runs, so my record's clean. You can give me a, uh, give me a hand, guys. I, you shouldn't have done that, but that's okay. Thank you. So anyway, um, as I was thinking about this story, I was realizing, you know, I think um, that we treat our sin a lot of times like that, you know? We're like, oh, you know, I just got to get that one spot just right up front. If I can just get that thing, then I'll be satisfied, you know? If I could just have that relationship, and if I could just have that job, or if I could have that other thing, all good things, we might be satisfied, but we do it in the wrong way, right? We force the issue, we try to get into the spot that we want, and next thing you know, we do something that we'll regret. And two weeks might go by, you might think, oh, it's no big deal, nothing happened, nobody really knew that I lied about that, or nobody actually knew that I you know, took that job or stole this thing or you know, slandered that person. But in reality, next thing you know, a camera catches you, which is what happened to me. Because God is always watching. And it's big brother, yeah, sure. And and next thing you know, you're you're caught in your sin, right? And something's got to happen. And you might get to the judge, you might get to the court, and you look around, and you see all these other people. Oh man, I'm not as bad as that guy. You know, like did you see what he did? But in reality, before the judge, we must all plead guilty, right? I talk to people a lot about the gospel, and I share with them, and I can't tell you how many times this happens. All the time, I say, oh, you know, are you a good person? Yeah, yeah, I'm a good person. I do good things. I was like, well, let me, let me ask you a couple questions really quick, you know? And so, have you ever lied before? Crickets for a second. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've done that. Well, what do you call somebody who lies? A liar. Yeah, that's right. Okay, great. Um, you haven't ever stolen anything before. And they're like, no, I've never done that. That's, that's crazy. And I was like, well, you haven't ever taken like a candy bar or pencil. Or, you know, you haven't ever like pirated a movie or watched something online for free, right? Uh, yeah, I guess I've done that too, you know, and, and they're like, well, what do you call someone who steals stuff? Oh, a stealer. No, it's a thief. <laughs> Learn your English, you know, and then uh, I was like, well, that's a problem too. No, um, and then I said, well, you don't know what blasphemy is, right? And they're like, what's blasphemy? Well, blasphemy is when you say those things like OMG, right? You know, or when you use Jesus' name vainly for no purpose, and it, you're using it as almost like a curse word, right? And, and I was like, you've never done, done that. Oh, you have. Okay, uh, so blasphemy. What do you call someone who blasphemes? And they're like, oh, a blasphemer, right? And then finally, I said, well, last question. This one's an easy one. You haven't murdered anyone, right? And then this one time, this guy was like, yeah, I have. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Um, well, that made that a lot easier. <laughs> and uh, and I, I was like, well, okay, you haven't murdered anybody for all the other ones who haven't. And I was like, well... You haven't hated anyone, right? And, uh, well, you know, yeah, I've hated somebody before. And, and I said, well, you know what Jesus says? He actually says that if you hate someone in your heart, it's as if you've committed murder, right, in your heart. And so I'm telling these people, and I say, so by your own admission, this isn't something that I came up with, they say, you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous murderer at heart. So you think you're a good person. No. No, they don't. Usually by the end of it, they're like, no, I'm actually not a good person. And you know, I think, I think that a lot of us 
come into the Good Friday thinking, I'm a good person, right? A lot of us, we don't walk around thinking, oh man, I'm such a sinner, I'm such a horrible person or anything like that. But the truth is, is that the Bible says that our hearts are desperately wicked, right? And deceitful above all things. They're the ones that are telling you, your heart is telling you and I, that we aren't so bad. But in truth, we actually are. You know, I think sin is a lot like eating. We all do it, right? And we're just at different points of the meal, <laughs> You know, we're either looking at the menu, perhaps you've heard the classic phrase, look but don't touch. And I think about my, my grandpa this one time, I just couldn't believe this. He was looking at this woman and I was like, Grandpa, stop that. And he was like, I can look but not touch. And I was like, no, no, you can't. That's not okay. You know, and, uh, and you know, maybe we're just looking at the menu. Um, but that's evil, that's evil, you know? And you might not be caught for a couple weeks like I wasn't caught but it's still sin, you know? Or perhaps, you know, our lives are finally being exposed, right? I don't know if you guys have ever had this happen today. I was had some avocados that I hadn't really used, and next thing you know, I looked at them, they're back of the fridge, I forgot about them, and they're all moldy, and it's like, whoa, that's nasty. Took a couple weeks, but finally they were exposed for the rotten avocados that they were, the rotten lies that we say. Or, you know, better yet, we look around and we see other people eating junk food, right? And we're like, oh, I'm healthier than them. I don't do that thing, you know? I, I don't murder people, but I hate them in my heart, you know? And, uh, and I just think about the bitterness that I felt towards a sibling of mine growing up that was just festering in my soul like an infection, right? And it just, I thought I was better than my sibling because I didn't do the emotional or verbal or physical abuse that I experienced, right? But in reality, bitterness is maybe you've heard it, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die, right? So I think that we all are sinners, right? Maybe you haven't been caught yet. Maybe the camera hasn't spotted you. Um, you haven't gotten a call from the cops and maybe you're think, looking at other people thinking, I'm not so bad, you know, I, I don't do things that are that evil. But when it comes the day of judgment, there will always be a judge ready to tell you. And you have to say, I'm guilty, you know? Because we're all guilty. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? We all have sinned. So considering the story, I want to look at Luke chapter 23, verse 39 through 43. So if you guys got Bibles, or if you have phones, Luke chapter 23, verse 39 through 43. So Luke chapter 23, verse 39 through 43, this is the story of the two criminals on the cross, right? And these criminals have two different responses to the judge, to the situation of their condemnation, right? So let's read this. Luke chapter 23, verse 39 through 43 says this. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, Jesus, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving in the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It's just an awesome, awesome story, I think, as we consider this. The two responses that we can have are we can either rail at Christ or ask him to remember us humbly and contritely. So the first thief says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. If you look earlier in the passage, he actually has asked this question twice before, and it's mocking him every time. In verse 35, and the people stood by watching him, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And they mock him. And then later, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And they're saying, if you're the Christ, do it. If you're God, if you're the king, you should have the power to come down. But that wasn't the point. That wasn't what he was trying to do. That wasn't what he was trying to accomplish. Because Jesus knew that there was something better. See, everybody wants that physical salvation right away, but they don't realize that the spiritual salvation usually needs to come first. But the other criminal realizes this, and he says, don't you fear God? That question, don't you fear God, in Hebrews 9, 27, says that it is appointed for man to die once and then face judgment. You know, we don't talk about death very often. Nobody's, like, really talking about it. And um, I was talking to these students in Inglewood the other day, and um, it's just crazy circumstances that they go through. You know, I, I was sitting down at lunch with him, and he was just like, yeah, I said, how you doing? He said, well, you know, I'm pretty good. This chicken sandwich is pretty great. I was like, how you feeling? He's like, oh... My best friend died, but I won my wrestling championship, you know, this weekend. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, your, your best friend just died? And he was like, yeah, it was last week, but that happens all the time. And I was like, wait, are you okay? And he was, was like, it's no big deal, it's no big deal. You know, this is something that they face all the time, people being shot. And I think, you know, so often because we're not faced with that, we don't talk about it as much. But then the next week, the students were like, we want to talk about death. It's like, who wants to talk about death, you know? But it's so important to know what happens. Don't you fear God? Don't you realize that it is appointed to man to die once and then face judgment? Just like I faced the judgment when I was in that courtroom. Then he says, immediately after that, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, you know, Romans 3.23, as I already said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when you're standing in the court and you're hearing the condemnation met, you know, met it out, it's not very bright, it's not very cheery, it's not very exciting. I was thinking about when uh, James asked me to preach this, and I was like, oh man, this is such an exciting uh, opportunity. And, uh, and then I was reading, uh, I was reading like, quotes of other people who had like, preached on Good Friday and, and preached about this, and and Billy Graham, has anyone heard of him? You? Uh, Billy Graham was like, you know, I can preach about anything else. And people are pleased. But when you talk about the crucifixion and the death and the blood of Jesus Christ, no one wants to hear that, right? I was like, man, thanks, James. <laughs> but I also am thankful because I do believe that this is the most important thing that we can ever choose to consider. And he says that we indeed are being justly condemned, right? Romans 6.23. The wages of our sin is death. 
right? What is a wage? Somebody tell me. Payments. Payments. It's what you earn, right? You do something and you get paid. You earn it, right? And what have we done? We've all sinned. We all earned death. But then the criminal shifts in his perspective. As for all of these people have completely talked about something else, right? They're all like scoffing Jesus. Save yourself. Get down from the cross. Why can't you do it? And this thief, he's the one that shifts. And he realizes what Jesus is actually doing. Verse 41, he says, we're receiving this unjustly. We're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says that Jesus took part in our flesh. He was a man just like you and I. And in Hebrews 4.15, he says that he was tempted in every way that you and I were, but he never sinned. That's a pretty incredible statement. And then he says this. He says, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And at that point, Jesus hears what he's actually saying. Because he's not just saying, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He doesn't really want him to just think about, oh, that was a nice guy who died next to me. It's like, no. He wants him to remember him because he's the king. Because he is the king of kings. And when he comes to his kingdom, he knows that he's going to be the judge. And at that point, Romans 10, 9 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For it is by confessing that we confess his lordship, his kingship, you know? So at that point, he confesses that Jesus is the king. And he believes that he'll rise again from the dead. Because he knows that a dead king doesn't rule in a live kingdom. He knows that Jesus will rule and reign one more, one more day. He will come back. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I want to ask you guys, today, if you were to die today, if you were to stand before the King of Kings and the throne of, of heaven is before you, and all the angels are assembled, and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? Why should I let you be in a relationship with me? Why? You've done all these things. I've done all these things. We are lying, thieving, blasphemous murderers at heart. Why should I let you? It's not an easy answer. Well, I did enough good things. No. The Bible says, not by good works is anyone saved. Right? Lest we should boast. It's our pride if we think we can get in. But he says to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. John 10.10 10 says that Jesus has come so that we may have life and life to the fullest. And I think that's both now and in the future. And in this part, this word truly, you know, maybe you guys have seen that before. Anybody seen that word when Jesus, he says this a lot. You know, he's like, truly I say to you, or truly this, or whatever. That word literally means amen, right? And most of the time we pray and we're like, thank you, Lord, amen, right? But Jesus uses it as an emphatic statement to say, this is the truth. This is what will be. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And that word paradise is heaven. It was a one day. So when the thief on the cross died, that was forever. So once more, I want us to consider the cost of our sin. Consider what we have done and what Jesus did for us. 
He was betrayed by a brother, captured by a crowd, deserted by his disciples, falsely accused by religious leaders, spat upon, beaten by soldiers, rejected by many, mocked by all, scourged, and crucified. And that scourging, maybe you've heard, is literally would rip away layer by layer of his skin, all the way to the deep muscle tissue, right? And you know, the crucifixion, his bones were all out of joint, so that his arms would literally be nine inches longer than normal, because they were so far out. That's what I've read. It's the truth. He's in so much agony. And he didn't even die from bleeding out. He dies from suffocation, you know? And you guys have heard all these things. But one of the things that you might have been confused by, and I was confused a little bit by, it's like they offered him, you know, sour wine, right? Or vinegar. You guys read that? What some people say is that that very sponge that they would have offered him that, offered him the, the vinegar and to quench his thirst, was actually the sponge that they would have used for the latrines. Literally, the refuse of humanity being shoved into the face of God. That's why our sin is so detestable. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what he did for you and I. This isn't something simple. This isn't something that was easy. This was pain and agony, deeper than anything you and I can ever imagine. And we come to this, and will we revile him? Will we rail at him? Will we mock him? Will we join the crowd? You know, Jesus said, the way is easy and the, the gate is wide that leads to destruction. And those who find it are many. But the way is narrow. The way is hard that leads to, to life. And those who find it are few. You know, I'm astonished a little bit at how casually we come in to the church and we come into our relationship with Christ sometimes. But Jesus said, that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle, right? We are rich, you know? As Americans, we are so rich. Anyone who lives there, you know? This should be concerning for us, you know? Like, if you make over $3,000, I believe, in a year, you're over the top 50% of the world, and that's $3,000, you know? And for most of us, if you make over 15, you're in, the you're in the next 90%, you know? This is like, we are rich. And Jesus is saying, it's harder for me, it's harder for you to go into the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I don't even get it. How does that happen? I've never seen that. Have you guys seen that? Then my question becomes, have you ever seen a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven? It's almost as rare. But as I consider these things, I also want to offer hope, because there is hope for us. You see, in Revelation 3.20, says that Jesus, speaking, and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with, to him and eat with him and he with me. Thinking about how depressed and lonely our nation is, how chronic that problem is, there's so much sadness. 
I don't want to be alone. I don't want to eat alone. I want to be with Jesus. Can you imagine sitting down with the creator of the universe and just eating and hearing him and listening? It's beautiful. So my challenge for you is if you guys don't know Christ, if you don't have a relationship with him, what's going to happen to you? If you were to die today, where would you go? And I tell you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus where you've declared his lordship, that he is the master of your life, you will not spend eternity with him. You will spend eternity apart from him in a place called hell. It's real. That's a painful place of suffering. See, God created us to be in a relationship with him. But our sin, our lying, our stealing, our hatred, our bitterness, our gossip, our slander separates us from God. And we can't bridge the gap. There's nothing we can do. Our good deeds cannot get us across. They can't blot out the taint. I always tell people, if you imagine you have a glass of water, right, and you've got just a drop of black ink, what happens to the rest of the cup? The whole thing, right, becomes black. It's infected. One sin is enough to condemn us to eternity apart from him. And Ephesians 2, 8 says, For it is by grace we have been saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. We can't walk enough old ladies across the street. We can't do enough good deeds. We can't wash enough counters or cars, or I don't know what you consider a good deed, but you can't do it, you know? But paying the Christ, Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, right? And everyone who believes in him will be safe. And he says, life starts now, and it can last forever. For the thief on the cross, it did. It lasted forever. So if there's anyone in here who does not know the Lord, and who's feeling that weight of depression, the weight of loneliness, the weight of meaninglessness, purposelessness. Or perhaps you are so caught in a web of lies that you don't even know how to get out. Or maybe you're struggling with your marriage. Or maybe you're experiencing something else completely. If you want freedom, if you want hope, God has that for you. And he wants you to dine with him at his table. For those of you guys who are believers, when it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The context is not actually talking to unbelievers. Believe it or not, that passage, surprisingly, is used all the time to call unbelievers to repentance. But if you guys want to turn in your Bibles over there really quick, you'll notice something fascinating. I thought it was fascinating, so I'm going to tell you because I think it's fascinating. Revelation chapter 3. It's actually written to the church of Laodicea. This is what he says to them. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, and this is it. This is, I think this is for me, you know. You say, I am rich. I have prospered. And I need nothing. Not realizing that you are what? Wretched. Pitiable. Poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and the salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I, repro I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. And for all of us, whether you are a believer or not a believer, we are called to repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus says, Repent. 
And this is all that repentance is. Walking this way, and you turn around, you start walking the other way. Say, I will no longer do my sin. I will no longer lie. I will believe in the one who saved me. I will turn to him, and I will make him the Lord of my life. Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. John is dead. I am dead. But it is Christ who lives in me. And that's why I have hope. That even though when I plead guilty, I say, I did it. I done it. It's me. That God will forgive me. And that one day when I do stand before the judge, it says at the end of that Revelation passage, to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So I want to invite you guys to bow your heads. Just consider what Christ has done for you. And if you've never made a confession or accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of salvation. And if you are burdened by your sins, Jesus has come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. If you want to, if you believe that God exists, and you know that you've sinned, you know that your sin is weighing you down. I challenge you to confess your sin to Jesus. To accept him as your Lord, meaning he's the master of your life. Knowing that none of your good deeds will measure up. And to enter into life and life abundantly now. So I'm going to pray for you, those of you who want that. But I also want to challenge those who are believers. For those of you who have accepted Christ, who have turned to him. Consider what Jesus says to the church of Laodicea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Are you putting your hope in riches? Are you putting your hope in the world? Don't do it. It will fail you. So I'd love to pray. And if you want to just consider taking this moment to pray along with me and repent of our sins. Lord Jesus, I confess that I have sinned, I have lied, I have stolen, I have hated, I have misprioritized my life, and I've made so many other things the priority other than you. And I just confess now, Lord, that I've done these things, that I don't deserve you. I know that all have sinned, that I have sinned fallen short of the glory of God. I know that the wages of sin is death, but you say that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I want to put my trust in you, Jesus. I want to accept you as my Lord, as my Savior, the one who died on the cross, who was betrayed by a brother, captured by a crowd, deserted by his disciples, for me, who is scourged and crucified, for me. Lord, I want to accept you as my Lord and Savior. I believe that you rose again after three days. And I ask that you would enter my heart. I hear you. You stand at the door and knock, and I hear you. I hear your voice. And I want to open the door of my heart so that you can come in to me 
can eat with me. And I can eat with you, Jesus. As we conclude this, with every eye closed and every head bowed, if there's anyone here who accepted Christ for the first time as their Lord, as their Savior, I'd like you to just take a moment to slip up your hand if you're watching. This is a personal decision, and it can change the rest of your life. But I want to give you the opportunity to come from death to life. So if there's anyone here, I'd love to pray with you. And for those of you who are believers, again, I urge you to consider what Christ has done for you.